Do you have a lifelong dream? Maybe you've gotten close to the dream. Maybe you've worked adjacent to the dream, but you've never quite achieved it. You've kept it through every rejection, every wrong turn, every almost. Through it all, the dream always burned on. Now imagine one day, after years of your preparation and imagining, that dream of yours finally comes true. Today's guest has a story of just that and will teach you the beauty of a longer creative journey. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host, producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, and multi-passionate creative. This show sits at the intersection of creativity, mental health, self-development, and spirituality, and it is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Zibby Owens. She's the award-winning podcast host of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, founder and CEO of Zibby Media, which includes the publishing house, Zibby Books. She also has Zibby Mag, Zibby's Book Club, which includes retreats, classes, events, and podcasts. And she's the owner of Zibby's Bookshop, which is an independent bookstore in Santa Monica. Her books include Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, Prince Charming, and two anthologies that she edited. And today she's here to talk about her brand new novel, Blank. I wanted to have Zibby on the show because she has such a rich creative background from being an author who experienced roadblocks on the path to publication to starting her podcast to showcasing other authors and now writing her brand new novel blank out March 1st and writing this book was her lifelong dream. And I have to tell you, I have not been enjoying reading recently. Zibby's book brought me back to life and put me in touch with the love of literature. It is honestly so, so good. And she has such incredible insight on how to always keep the faith in your greatest creative dream. From today's chat, you'll learn how to see rejection as a learning experience, the power of a longer journey, how to overcome being creatively blocked, balance your creative babies, and how to set and keep creative deadlines. Okay, now here she is. Zibby Owens. So Zibby, thank you so much for being on Unleash Your Inner Creative. You're possibly the best person ever to have on the show because not only have you fully unleashed, you've helped so many people also unleash their creativity. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an honor. Also, I have to tell you, so your book, I loved it so much. And it kind of blew me away for a lot of different reasons. I've been struggling to find love in reading books, which is, I know, like probably horrifying for you to hear, but I've had to do it for my job. And so it's become kind of like a monotonous chore that I just like have to zoom through books. I can't find any pleasure in it. And I opened your book and it took me over. I finished it in like three hours. I laughed, I cried, I was in the world. And it just kind of hit on every topic that I love to talk about, which is family, love, friendship, and creativity. So yeah, it's an amazing, amazing book. And I want to dive deep into it because there's so much takeaway from it. I know this journey being an author hasn't been a short road. You've wanted to be an author since you were a very little girl. Your grandparents published your first book of short stories when you were just 10. And it's been a long journey. And I've always loved that Edward L.B. quote, sometimes a person has to go a very long distance out of his way to come back a short distance correctly. It strikes me as 
this is your story, that it's true of your path to writing books. What do you think is the power of a longer journey? I do think that reflects my journey in that when I started my journey to try to become an author, I quickly realized after a few steps that there was no direct path, that I couldn't get there. I would have to meander in some way. And so I just basically leaned into that and pursued a bunch of my other interests as well, always hoping that I could eventually write a book, always keeping my feet wet by writing articles and essays. And that's just something I do all the time anyway. So I do think there's power in the longer journey because you come to the material with a much richer perspective on life, on experiences. You get out there, you live. You can't just sit in a room and write all day. You need inputs to become a great writer, whether those inputs are other books or experiences that you live through losses, ups and downs, life, right? To really relate to other people's experience of life, you need to live it yourself. And so I think that's why there are a lot more authors in their 40s, say, than in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good thing for sure. You know, and you started to first work toward publishing books as an adult way back in 2003. I love this video you did titled Rejection, where you read your rejection letters. Thank you. I'm also a musician. I did a podcast where I read my rejections from music. They can be brutal, but it's also helpful, I think, to other people on their path to know this is part of the process. How did you keep your strength and keep going and keep focused on your dream in the midst of so many no's? Well, it didn't look like I maintained my focus. It looked like a lot of tears. And I didn't try to sell another book for a decade. I mean, I really, it really sort of knocked me off my path. When I first tried to sell a memoir that I fictionalized, I wrote it like four different times, like all these different drafts, but ultimately it was a novel. And I tried to sell that in about, that must've been 2004, 2005, something like that. And it got rejected. I was so devastated. Like it didn't occur to me that I could take a year off of life, write a book and then have it not work out. I did end up ghostwriting a book immediately after that my agent hooked me up with, which was a really great experience. And I did get my name you know, on a cover, which was lovely. But then I had my kids and I had twins and there was no writing a book to be had. At least for me, I have so much respect for all these people I interview. They're like, yeah, and my baby's sleeping and I wrote a book. And I'm like, okay, well, I had to wait <laughs> until my kids got a little older. I don't know. I just took a windier road and I always love to write. I feel like this is something I've been called to do. I know that sounds lofty, but I just have this inner confidence that like, I know I'm, an, I'm a decent writer. I just know it. I'm not saying I'm the best writer on the face of the earth. And, you know, my mom read my newest novel Blank and was like, well, it was really fun. It's not going to win any awards or anything, but like, you know, it was really entertaining. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so I'm not claiming to be, you know, Colson Whitehead or something, you know, but I think I can write in a very accessible way that makes people feel connected. And I think that's my sort of power as a writer. And I just have always deep down had a lot of faith in that. And I also 
really good as an editor. I just like can see very easily what's wrong with a sentence. I kind of hear it in my head. It's like music, like I can just fix it. And I have good instincts about that. And I can be insecure about a lot of things, but I've never really thought like, okay, I was rejected. I must not be a good writer. I know I'm a good writer, not like the best writer, you know, but good enough. And I just kept reading everything and thinking, okay, all these people are getting their books out. I've got to be able to do this. And it took so long because I couldn't find the right project. I couldn't frame it properly. I got discouraged. I had no platform, but I just didn't want to give up because I don't know, just deep down, I was so sure of it, sure about it. So that whole time, because I know you said you were a stay-at-home mom for 11 years, yeah? Mm -hmm. So that whole time, was that flicker in your heart still going? You always knew that you would get there? I did not always know I would get there. I hoped and dreamed, but it felt like that dream was not necessarily going to be realized. And that was depressing. <laughs> I still wrote, but not that much, honestly, during that time. And even the pieces I did write, I wrote under a pseudonym occasionally. I wrote a couple things. You know, I was going through kind of a hard time myself and I just wasn't putting out great stuff. So one of the things that from the outside looking in at least looks like got you into finally doing this dream of writing books and novels is your podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. How did you decide to start that endeavor? And what was your hope when you started the pod? It's so funny that this podcast has led to so much stuff and has become a daily podcast. Okay. Also, are you okay? A daily podcast is like, I've never heard of anyone about, and you do a long daily podcast. It's not five to 10 minutes. It's like 30 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're incredible. <laughs> Yesterday, I moderated seven sessions in a row with like 30 plus authors. And I was like, I guess I could just do this indefinitely. I guess I don't have a stopping point. <laughs> I didn't start it as a daily podcast. That would have been crazy. I started it as a weekly podcast. And when someone suggested I go to twice a week, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I could never do that. I've built my way up to it. I've yeah. been like training for this marathon, so to speak. It was so haphazard starting this podcast. Like I never thought it would become this. I mean, I'm delighted. And I worked really hard at it. I don't mean like, whoa, look at this. You know, once I got into it, I really got into it, like with most things. But at first I was just testing it out just to see if I could do it and what, how I would do it. And to answer your question, I got back into writing and reading once I got divorced. I had every other weekend to myself and I have four kids and that was very sad. <laughs> it was very quiet around here. And the therapist I had at the time reminded me that with a good book, you'll never be lonely and how much I love to read. And so I kind of went back at reading with a vengeance and also writing. I got in a new relationship with the man who is my husband now. And I just started writing when I didn't have the kids about all of the demands of motherhood, which I finally got to have some bird's eye view of because I wasn't in it every second anymore. Mm. I got to pull back a little and examine the craziness of my life and like, how was I even doing it? So I started writing a lot about that. This one essay I wrote went somewhat viral on HuffPost called A Mother's Right to Sanity. And that encouraged me to keep writing more and more things. And I started writing for the Today Show parenting site and those did really well. And then I started getting invited to the Today Show events and all these things just like led to other things. After a while, my husband said, why don't you take all those essays and turn them into a book? And I said, oh, moms don't have time to read books. I said it like right here where I'm sitting right now. And then I was like, that's so funny. That's what I'll call my book. 
So I pitched this idea of a book. I wrote another book proposal, which I'm very good at writing. <laughs> I'm not going to offer my help. That is a skill I have honed because I've tried to write so many different books. And I wrote a book proposal for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, a collection of essays about parenting. And I took it to an agent, a new agent I was working with, who said, that is not a good idea. Publishers will not find that funny at all. And you have no platform. You're not on social media, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I've been writing for 20 years. Didn't matter. And she's like, they just won't sell. Essay collections about parenting won't sell. Not a chance, which was very discouraging. I said, I really want to write this book about falling in love again at 40 with my tennis pro. And she's like, well, that's a book I want to read. Yeah. <laughs> so then I started writing that book, which I called 40 Love, which also got rejected. But anyway, I had the name that I still thought was really funny. And another friend said to build up my platform, I should start a podcast. And I was like, that is so random. I don't even really like talking to strangers that much. I, you know, but I am very curious about people and I love books. So I decided to use the title, start a podcast, interview authors about their books. I only knew a handful of authors. I started with my really good friend. We just sat here and chit chatted. And then because of my husband and his career, I got to interview Andre Agassi as one of my first guests, which was amazing. I was like drenched in sweat. I realized that I loved podcasting. I totally did not expect that. It's not really podcasting I love. I love talking to other people and learning about them and having it be around for me a specific thing, which is a book. So I'm always prepared. Like I'm listening to you ask me these questions. Like you're very prepared. You know all about me. That's great. But like I wasn't so comfortable like winging it just from reading like a website. Like I needed a book because books I could talk about forever and not get tired. And then I could dive into the author. So that's how it started. And then I grew it. Then I got very excited about it. And I was like, wait, I love this. And I want to talk to more authors. And then publicists heard about it. And then they started pitching me their books. And then I started doing in-person events here to grow the podcast. I started doing all these things. Like, how can I grow? I only have 86 listeners again. Like, oh my gosh, like nobody wants to advertise. Like in a year, I only got like one Hawaiian coffee brand was going to offer me like 25 cents. And I was like, come on, how are all these other people doing their podcasts? So I always have this thing in the back of my head that's like, if other people can do something, I should be able to do it. Whether mm -hmm. it's something as difficult as starting a successful podcast or just not getting lost as I navigate the airport in my car, despite my terrible sense of direction, which is hugely intimidating to me. So if someone else can do it, how can I not be able to do it? So I just take that attitude with me and keep trying. Well, you've been very successful. I mean, I saw, I was watching your stories yesterday and I saw your shelf of trophies and it's just really incredible the way it's connected, how far it's gone. And the title is Genius. And I love that you've used that across so many things now and that it even got a shout out in your book in blank. <laughs> I love what you said about the book being something to orient you like during the interview, because it's true. And I want to dive into your book now because it really was everything to me. And I want to speak to your mom for a minute. <laughs> like, <laughs> it made a difference in my life because I'm not kidding you, Zibby. Like I have not been able to find any joy in a book for like three or four years. And your book brought me joy and made me feel seen. I like literally almost am going to cry. I'm so happy to hear you say that as someone who reads books all the time and knows the feeling of like really loving something and not being able to put it down. Like, it's always been a dream that I would have the ability to have that effect on someone with my words. And I can't believe it. Like, I don't even know you. Now I know you, but it's like amazing to me. And I'm not a quick reader. Like usually reading takes me a long time. 
the fact that I got through it, like, and I wanted to, I was like, I literally was starving. I'm like, I can't get up to make breakfast. Aww. I need to read the book. <laughs> what was it for you? I mean, I just, I related to the main character so much. Pippa, like as a creative, the way it feels when you're blocked, the way it feels when, when you know something's wrong in your life and you kind of know what it is, but you can't completely pinpoint what it is. Just how much she loved her family. I mean, I took screenshots because I read it on NetGalley. And I love the part at the end. I mean, I'm jumping ahead because I have a million questions from beginning, middle and end. But the part at the end, let me look. I think I have to reread my book. You do. (laughs) So I can answer all these questions. Yeah. Okay. This part. Cindy, I know you don't want me airing my dirty laundry, but I really want other families out there to know that not everything is perfect or easy. You never know what's going on behind closed doors. And it's not always easy writing books. Sometimes your entire first draft ends up in the trash and all you have is the blank page, a blinking cursor, and a deadline. And sometimes your best friend betrays you. But the important thing is to keep writing, keep showing up for your friends, and keep prioritizing your family. The rest will fall into place. That's why I loved your book. Because that sums up everything to me. Me too. (laughs) I also loved how much of yourself you brought to it. Like, to your point, I could feel you jumping out from the page through Pippa while I was reading. I felt your warmth. I felt your kindness. I felt your preferences. I love that Martin Scorsese quote, the most personal is always the most creative. And I really felt like you nailed that in this book. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. This has been a huge ego boost so far. So, you know, I'm just loving this. Thank you. I'm so happy. Well, I don't have anyone on the show that I'm not like genuinely obsessed with because I can't fake it. And when I'm excited, I'm excited. But, you know, it was also fascinating to me because it felt like a lot of different genres merging in one. And again, I'm like not the most seasoned novel reader, but it felt like a thriller meets a romance novel meets a journal entry. Was that intentional when writing the book? Like, What genre would this fall into? I did not mean to write a thriller. That's interesting. It kind of was because it's like who done it at one point, you know, with multiple different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's exciting too. (laughs) I was really just thinking about it as, I don't know, women's fiction, women's contemporary fiction. I was not thinking of it in the rom-com space, although I could see how it could kind of be there. I was not thinking of it as true literary fiction because it's not so highbrow. You know, one of my favorite books lately has been Annabelle Moynihan's Nora Goes Off Script. And I love that because it was relatable. I found the main character so funny and yet it was escapist and totally enjoyable. I don't know what she's categorized. Now it looks like maybe people are trying to categorize her more as rom-com with all her covers and everything, but it's like smart rom-com. Not that most rom-coms aren't smart. They are. Just like not situation comedy, kind of like that witty. I don't know. I just wanted some of that wittiness. And, you know, it's like The Last Love Note by Emma Gray, which we published. There's some similarities. Like, the main character just getting herself into trouble all the time, but like having a funny attitude about it. And then there's happiness and sadness. And those are the kinds of books I love to read. So I was just trying to do something, I guess, like that. I don't know exactly what genre that is, but something between women's fiction and rom-com, somewhere in that spectrum. How do you feel about genres in general? Do you feel bound by the word? I think it's an oversimplification. 
you know, even in my bookstores, Ivy's Bookshop in Santa Monica, we do not categorize things by genre. We categorize by interest and topic and books that make you lust, books that make you laugh, books that make you cry and books by interest and books other people have loved who are celebrities or whatever. Because I don't think that you walk in and say, I am looking for historical fiction from the 1920s. I mean, sometimes you do, but a lot of times you walk into a bookstore and you're like, I just want something that's really good. Yeah. I'm in a bad mood. I need something that's going to make me laugh today. Or, you know, the world is so tough. Like, I want something even tougher. Like, show me the hardest thing in the world that somebody got through so I can be inspired. What is that? Books that make you cry can be thrillers. They can be memoirs. They can be anything. So I don't put a lot of weight in genre. I think it causes confusion. I think things should be categorized based on the person who's shopping, not like I wrote, edited these two anthologies during COVID. Moms don't have time to, and moms don't have time to have kids. And I would see them occasionally in bookstores. I'm like, you know, they should really be in the kids section because the moms who are going to read this aren't even going to have time to go to their own sections. Like they're not going to have time to go to self-help. They're like stuck on the floor in the kids section. Why can't I just sell these in the kids section? So in my store, I just like put those books in the kids section. I'm like, let's see what happens. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love the idea of what it's going to make you feel instead of what it is, because that really when we consume any sort of art, what we're looking for is a feeling. So I think that's brilliant. Okay. Diving into Pippa in the book, she has been creatively blocked for three years. Horrific, but like very relatable. What do you do, Zibby, when you feel creatively blocked? How do you get out of it? I usually avoid the project <laughs> as long as possible. I need external accountability. So whether it's an editor or a friend, like I will not go for a walk these days without somebody waiting for me on the corner. Like I love tennis and I still will not play tennis unless like I book a lesson or my friend is coming over to play at 8 a.m. or something. Like for whatever reason, for some things that are difficult for me to motivate to do, I really rely on that accountability factor. So that is one thing. I'll set deadlines. I'll tell people deadlines even if they're not involved, like, okay, I'm going to write 2000 words by Tuesday or whatever it is. So when I'm blocked, I like to make deadlines and advertise them. So I definitely have enough that I can put my energy into something else when I'm avoiding the hard thing. Yeah. Sometimes if I'm really stuck, I just need a little, a little help getting there. A little like, you know, walking me to the desk, not physically, but just somebody who's like, okay, now sit down right now and I'm going to read what you're going to write later. Yeah. I mean, those are all great tips. One thing I was thinking of as you were talking is you said sometimes something that you're working on, you'll have a complimentary project. And just thinking about how many things you do, I'm curious if some of those sprung out from those moments of when you were blocked and wanted to work on something else. Yes. This whole thing has been a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things come that way. I mean, and it's not like a waste of time because I no. am doing a lot of things. A lot of essays I've written are when I've been avoiding a novel or something. I'll write an essay or I'll make a list or I'll go through books that are coming out and I'll make this big, most anticipated list, which I didn't mean to do that day. I should have been doing something else. Obviously, I should have done that too at some point. But if I make myself have to do it, I don't know. These are all the mind tricks, right? <laughs> I don't like to do it when I have to sometimes. That makes sense. Hey, creative. If you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Rate and review on Apple. 
give it a review on Spotify, share it with a friend. These things all make a major difference in a podcaster's life and in growing their show. And I really want to build up this community of creatives who love, trust, and know themselves and love, trust, and deeply know others. So if you could do that and share the show with someone you care about, that would mean so much. All right. I love you. So, okay. I have a question. You've got so many different creative babies. You know, you've got your writing, you've got your podcast, you've got your bookstore, you've got your publishing house. I also am a multi-hyphenate. So I think about it like I'm running to all these different houses. And like what I'm trying to do right now is get all my babies into one house so Mm -hmm. I don't have to run around as much. How do you balance it all? And how do you know where to focus? I rely a lot on my calendar. So what do I have coming up? Is it a big meeting internally for my publishing company? Are we getting ready for sales conference? Is an author coming to town? Do we have a submissions meeting where I need to have read a book? Something like that. Which books do I need to read? When are these podcasts? Okay, I've got to have a big reading day today. I forgot to post this about the tour. I better do that because so-and-so asked me. I mean, I'm obviously the one who sets my own calendar to begin with. It's not totally haphazard, but it all just blends. And I like that. I do better, and I'm guessing you do too, since, you know, multi-hyphenates unite or whatever. But, you know, I have four kids and people are like, how do you do that? But it actually is much easier for me when I have four than when I have two, because like, you know, when I can't deal with this, then I go to that kid or like, (laughs) I like having a lot of different things going on. I do best when there are a lot of things going on. Not when I get to the point of complete overwhelm, which does happen. It's a very thin line. And when I cross over, it's not good. And I'm like so agitated and whatever. But if I can just stay in that sweet spot, then it's really great. So I spend as much time as I need to on each thing. And I dedicate the time and the calendar and with people, you know, for this external accountability, like there is someone waiting on the podcast for me at a certain time, I will be ready. Um, An essay of mine is due. It will be ready. It's in the calendar. I put an essay assignment for myself today. I mean, I'm running out of time. It's four o'clock, but you know, you never know. Maybe by seven, I'll do it because I put it in that I had to be done by seven, even though it's not due for like three weeks, but I might as well, because who knows what's coming in three weeks. So I don't know. All these little hacks. They're all great tips. So jumping back into the book, I love the part where Pippa says, success casts a dry spell. Why do you think sometimes after having a big creative success, it can feel daunting to start again? I found this when I had bookends, my memoir come out, because my whole life I wanted to have a book come out. And I'd been trying to write about losing my friend on 9-11 since 9-11. And it came out like last year or something. And after I did it, I had this very odd moment a long moment, like not just a second, like weeks where I was like, okay, I basically just achieved my life goal, except for writing a novel, which I still was trying to do. But at least I had a book out, like that was it, not as a ghostwriter and not as edited by, but actually by me, not as a children's book, which I also did. And I felt a little bit adrift, like what now? What do I talk about? When the thing I've wanted to talk about for so long, I've done, I've talked about it. So I relate to that. And I think when you achieve something finally or, or not, just it shifts everything else a little bit. It's like you're bowling and all the pins are lined up and then you knock the pins down. You have to kind of wait till they get set up again. And I feel like 
that's success and what has to happen. And even if you want to keep going, like you've got to wait for that little sweeper thing to go and then you've got to wait for them to go up and then you've got to find the right ball. And and sometimes you've got to let other people take their turn before you can go up again. So it's not always immediate. You just, it's okay to have a little time to regroup. How do you calm yourself during those regrouping times? I freak out and I'm like, oh my God, I'm never gonna be able to write anything the rest of my life. And I usually say that to my husband and he's like, honey, don't be silly. And then I usually say it to like two writing friends or like a girlfriend or a mom at pickup. Maybe I post about it. And then when like a hundred people have told me <laughs> that I will be able to write again, I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> what is that voice? Because I feel like it's in every creative I know. Why do we always go there first? You know, it's because it's so not linear, factual, predictable, coming up with something creative and that magic that happens like on a great writing day where I'm like sitting there for hours and like making myself laugh and being like, oh my gosh, totally didn't know that was going to happen. All that stuff. It's like this weird alchemy. And what if it doesn't come back? I don't know how it got here to begin with. I set the conditions up for it. I prayed for it. I like, I practiced, but some days it comes and some days it doesn't. And, you know, it's like praying for a rainy day or a sunny day. You know, you're about to go to the beach. Is it going to be a sunny day or not? And sometimes it's hard to like plan the next beach outing because you have to deal with that uncertainty and it can be paralyzing. Yeah. I kind of had this image as you were talking in a way it's almost reverence for the magic of the creative process and knowing how magical it is and that maybe it will strike, maybe it won't. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like the only way I get through it is an openness and a surrender to that and the prayer. Like that really helps. <laughs> <laughs> and the accountability, that's huge. Yep. So how did you start writing blank? What was the seed of this idea? Both my husband and my son claim that they came up with this idea. So I can't totally remember because they're both convinced that it happened a different way. But one or both of them said something about what it would be like to publish a blank book. And I was like, that would be such a great idea for a book. What would happen? And my mind just went down this whole thing. And I have been thinking so much about publishing as a publisher and an author and a bookstore owner and all of the things. And I was like, what would the ripple effects be? And then who would this be happening to? And what would her life be like? So <laughs> I don't even know. Well, it started with the question because that was something I also loved that Pippa did when she was trying to figure out what to write was she asked all these questions. Do you start a lot of your work with a question, with a curiosity? Yes. Or some piece of an idea that is really exciting to me. So I'm starting another novel, which I'm really excited to write and completely procrastinating and refuse to do. I'm using it as an excuse that I'm waiting for like a book deal contract from my editor. When she gives me the contract, I'll write, but that's so stupid. I mean, I could really have the whole thing done by now if I wanted to. But the idea for this next one, for instance, is I was sitting, I went to a football game for my son and when we watched the live stream of it after, cause he wanted to see a few of his plays that the live stream would have recorded that I somehow missed. We found out that we were sitting right by the camera so they could actually hear some of us talking. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it had also been like crazy because it had been me and my husband, my ex-husband, his girlfriend. Oh, horrifying. I'm so sorry. 
we actually didn't really say anything that we would have been like that mortified for anybody to have heard, but we could have. And then I was like, what would the worst possible thing someone could say or do on this live stream that the whole school is going to watch because it was parents visiting weekend. And so I called my editor, Carmen. I was like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought of my next idea. I was like, I don't know how or in what format this is going to come, but this is like the inspiration for this, the next novel. I have to write this. What if? So good. I can't wait to read that one. Okay. Circling back to the whole idea about publishing and what would happen if you did this and kind of flip the publishing world on its head. Yep. Why has historically the publishing world been so in many ways impossible? (laughs) It's impossible because there are too many books and not too many from an author standpoint from that. It's great that there are a bazillion books, but there just aren't enough readers to go around given that readers want to read what everyone else is reading and that there is a comfort in that. And it's not just because those books are good. They want to connect with other people. And that is some of the beauty of a book club or a bestseller list or something like that. So unless your book becomes something that everybody else is reading, it will find its audience among people maybe you know, or maybe who are just interested in the topic, or maybe your publisher really gets behind it. But something in it has to really take off or it will not become a massive hit. There's not enough room for lots of hits. Therefore, most people end up disappointed who are authors. I think part of the thing we have to do as authors is manage expectations, which is hard because even when you're saying to yourself, I'm going to manage expectations. I know that like 95% of books only sell X number of copies, blah, blah, blah. You're still hoping that like your book, because you believe in it so much, is going to be the one that gets to the top of the list, even if you are insecure about it. It doesn't matter. There's like this weird, like, I hope people like it, but also it deserves a spot on the list or something. So there's just not enough room for so many hits when people want to unite around certain books. And it's random. Sometimes it's the best books that do the best. Sometimes it's not. They're just not as well-written as other books. And there are fabulous books that can't find their audience and there's no rhyme or reason to it. And that is frustrating, but it's the same thing in the movie business. It's like, you know, my brother's a producer, my husband's a producer, like why? Why do some movies really hit and others don't? And I do think that movies with, and books with a big upfront investment have a much better shot. And nine times out of 10, those will become the biggest successes. But you're always sort of hoping that even if your project doesn't get a lot of internal support, it can rise to the top, but it is hard. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that murders my soul more than seeing a creative or an artist who has this incredible work that is just getting nothing, no traction. Oh, it's terrible. It kills me. That's why I love how much of a champion you are for other people, because I think you are doing your part in writing that wrong, at least in the publishing industry. Can you share a little bit of what you're doing with Zibby Books? Sure. I like to think I'm doing that with my podcast as well, because I'm having people on the podcast that maybe other people wouldn't. Yes. And because I do it every day, I have that luxury. That's why when people say, don't do it every day, I'm like, how could I cut that out? You know, I liked 
bringing attention to an author maybe nobody knows about, but there's something about it that's really great. With the publishing company, I know my husband was literally just saying this to me. He's like, remember how like you couldn't get a book deal because you didn't have a platform? He's like, but you're publishing all these authors that don't have a platform. Why? And I was like, because I don't believe in that. I don't think you should only get a book deal if you have a platform. All that means is you're good at marketing. That doesn't necessarily mean you're great at writing. I will say, obviously, for marketing, you're better off if you have a bigger platform because you have more of a built-in audience. But I'm in the market of finding great books and like getting behind them and trying to bring these debut authors into the world in a way that is supportive and exciting and doing it based on the book and the author. But basing it on the book, I am going to like beat my drum as much as possible and shout out about all these books that I think are great that maybe wouldn't even have perhaps gotten a book deal or certainly not as much attention. We send all of our authors on multi-city book tours. And <laughs> one woman I work with is like, you realize you're treating like every author, like John Grisham gets treated at a big publishing house. And I was like, all right, well, I think it's really amazing they wrote these books that I love so much. So I believe that authors deserve to be treated like rock stars. That's why I'm going on this whole Zibbyverse tour where I'm gonna have like red carpets and sunglasses for everybody who comes and friendship bracelets and Aww. tour t-shirts. And you know, I just wanna make it funny and like point out the fact that authors can be like rock stars and what they do is really amazing. I love it. I think that that's one of the most important things is championing other people. Like I end every podcast by telling the listener, I believe in you because having somebody's belief in your work, especially somebody accomplished like you, can be the difference between them going for it and not, between them living a life that makes them feel like who they truly are and not. And I just think how much better would the world be if everybody did pursue their creative dream and really live the life that they imagined? I really appreciate that you're doing that. I want to circle back to the book. I know we only have a couple of minutes here, but the family piece was so important. And like I was telling you, this is a value I've really realized of mine that Family is through everything I do, and I want it to be a leading force in my life. How has that influenced your creativity, and how has it been a foundation for you? Oh, I mean, my kids are everything. I know everybody says that, blah, blah. But I mean it. I just, they're everything to me, and I spend a lot of time thinking about them, but also how to include them in all the things I'm doing professionally. I try to be as good a mom as I can. There are always new crazy things that are happening with the kids because there are so many of them and they are up to all these things and <laughs> there are good things and bad things and you know, new doctors of, oh my God, I have to cancel this appointment. I have to do this, I have to do But all of the stuff and the annoyances are actually like very endearing and it's also fleeting. Like, and I'm seeing that now that I have older kids. My older kids are 16 and a half. I'm not saying I have like ancient kids, but it's so different than my youngest who's nine, right? So I feel I have much more of a vantage point now for the younger kids that I can like look at things and like think it's hilarious. Whereas before it would have totally stressed me out. Now I'm like, that's really funny. And I can like joke around with them. I joke around with them all the time. Like I'm always like sarcastic or making jokes or like, cause I'm just like, let's just have fun. So anyway, with being a mom, it can be so stressful, but I've, I've really tried to bring a level of levity to my parenting. And also, you know, as I was saying, professionally, having them be a part of everything. I mean, they're going to come with me on some things on the tour. They help me with book covers. Which one do you like better for the publishing company? Like, okay, which one do you like better? What do you think about these titles? 
anything I'm writing, okay, you know, I was thinking about the next novel, doing something else. And I was thinking about calling it like sparkle. And my daughter's like, that is so stupid. So, you know, just involving them in everything. And they are the be all end all. I mean, all of this means nothing. If someone said tomorrow, you have to go off Instagram and stop writing, otherwise something's gonna happen to your kids, or I don't know, God forbid, something. I'd be like, oh my God, two seconds, down. It's not even a question. I think it's important to find the humor in the stress of the day-to-day when you can, but remember that like, this is it. You're not just fitting things in. And even if you have a busy day, just like five minutes on the floor. I mean, the other day I had such a busy day and I felt so bad. And my son like kind of went up to his room because he was annoyed that I had another podcast or whatever. And I just like went in there in my dress and just lay down on the floor on my stomach. He was annoyed at first and I just like stayed there until he like wasn't annoyed and we just played and and I joked around and like eventually they'll come around. But he needed that time. And I think like it doesn't have to be so much. He just needed those couple minutes just with me, no other siblings, and then he was fine. The rest of the day he was in a great mood. So I think just like being in touch with your kids, keeping your eye on their needs all the time, but like making it sort of work and then involving them as much as possible in what you're doing and all the fun of what you're doing so that when you're in the other room doing a podcast, it's not like a black box. It's like, oh, it's this book right here. What should I ask her? And that's a very different experience. Mm. Yeah. And I love what you said about that's your real life. Like that's the core, that's your foundation and everything else kind of builds out from that. Yeah, that's a much better way to say what I just No, it was no, what you said was perfect. Sometimes I just like sum it up for myself no, you're to make good. sure that I got it. That is exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zibby, I mean, I could talk to you just about your book alone for hours, but you've written something so beautiful and I'm so excited for it to be in the hands of the world. And I wonder if you and the 2003 version of yourself we're standing in the same room looking at each other. What do you think she would say to you today and why? I'm like, well, that would be an interesting book. <laughs> you really pulled it off. I can't believe it. And what would you say to her and why? I would say, oh my gosh, you've been through a really hard time and you need to give yourself a break right now. It's all going to make sense later, just like one day at a time. <laughs> Aww. Well, I love them both, 2003 Zibby and today. And thank you for your book, your time, your heart, the way you champion other artists. It's much needed in the world. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. This was lovely. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Zibby Owens. For more info on Zibby, follow her at Zibby Owens and visit her website, zibbyowens.com. To find her podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, and for a copy of her first novel, Blank, which comes out Friday, March 1st, wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and associate produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guest at Zibby Owens so she can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you renew your faith in your deepest creative dream and that you encourage someone else to do the same. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.